but like I said, my name's April. I'm the local outreach director. I have a cool job. I get to oversee our volunteer opportunities, community partnerships, find ways for our church to continue to show up and make a difference. And so when Mark invited me to come and be with you guys tonight, I was super excited because this is my jam. I have a seven-year-old daughter, and um, she loves those free cookies from Publix. And so whenever we go to Publix, she doesn't say it as often, but she says, Publix is my jam. Well, this series you're in right now is my jam. I love this. And so we're going to jump right in. Before we get into the scriptures, I don't know if you got to see, this is so cool to me. So exactly a week ago, Mark stood up here and he challenged y'all to roll up your sleeves. He was like, if we're going to love God, we got to love our neighbor. If we're going to love our neighbor, we have to love our city. So roll up your sleeves. And you guys did that. We had three different teams. You heard a bit of Lindsay and Mark talking about it. Y'all went out and did a serve day this past Saturday. I want you to watch what happened and just go ahead and like, I don't know, clap and yell and stuff, but we had a team going out to Habitat for Humanity right there. Taking pictures of shoes on the sidewalk. We had a team with Pastor Will down in Ebor doing some neighborhood cleanup. There's Chrissy, all right. And then we had another team that went to a brand new partner of ours in South Tampa, yes. Yes, whatever's happening over there, absolutely. A brand new uh, local partner of ours called Oasis that provides clothing for students in Hillsborough County. So sorting those donations. But you guys made that happen. And I absolutely love that four days into this series, Mark says, roll up your sleeves, and you did it. So good job. Um, so what I want to talk about today has to do with sight, what we see. I think that we're all decent people. We love God. We love each other. But sometimes there becomes this, this obstacle. We know that loving God means loving our neighbor, right? We see Jesus talking about that all the time. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we want to love our neighbor. And so that means loving our city. But sometimes we get tripped up. And I want to spend this message, the few minutes that we have together, talking about the fact that if we're going to love our city, which we want to do, which you're already doing, we have to be able to see the reality of our city. We have to be able to see it. And it's not as easy as it may seem. That's where we're going tonight. Mark jumped into Matthew 25 last week. That's exactly where I want to pick up. So if you have your Bible um, app or you have it on your phone or if you have an old school Bible, where's mine? Right here. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 25 and I want to dig right in to the scriptures here and then I have some good stories for you as we get warmed up, I promise. But Matthew 25, 34 through 40. Um, Jesus is talking to a group of Jews. Now I'm not sure if you're familiar with what was happening back in the day 2,000 years ago, but these Jews were... Um, they were like looking forward to Judgment Day. When we think of Judgment Day, we think of like, dun, 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 right? Something that's like apocalyptic or whatever. But this group of people had not had many rights and had been oppressed for centuries 
upon centuries, upon centuries. It was the Babylonians, the Persians. When we catch up with Jesus, he's talking to a group of Palestinian Jews that don't really have a lot of rights because the Romans are occupying their land. Um, Remember when Jesus, little baby Jesus, had to like, Joseph had to take him and run to Egypt. If you remember that story, took him to Egypt because Herod threw a fit and decided to kill a bunch of baby boys. So this is the kind of constant uncertainty that this group of people that Jesus is about to talk to was facing. So he said, listen, there's going to come a day when I'm going to come back and I'm going to reward people and judge people based on what they did. Basically, the thing you're looking for, justice, making things right again, it's going to come. And so the people he's talking to were eagerly anticipating the day when God would come and make things right and set the record straight. So they're looking forward to this, and they were really familiar with what Jesus was saying. When he gets to this piece, he says, the king will say to those on his right, God breaks up a group of people over here, and then there's a group of people over here. And he says to them, enter you who are blessed by my father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. So these are the guys who, like, because of what they did, they're going to be rewarded with eternal life and blessing, and, and that's what they have to look forward to. Here's what Jesus says. This is the reason why. I was hungry, and you—you guys can finish this. I'm kind of interactive here, so I hope you can track with me. I was hungry, and you? I was thirsty, and you? I was homeless, and you? I was shivering, and you? I was sick, and you? We have the last one really strong. Ready? I was in prison and you. All right. And quick shout out to Chrissy Mayer because she started our prison ministry here at Grace. Yes. She read this scripture and a few others and she was like, we need to be the church remembering those who are overlooked and forgotten. We need to start a prison ministry and it's still going strong. Um, Let's see what the sheep, this group of people say in response. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you sick in prison come to you? They're basically like, I went to go visit my cousin James at Falkenberg, and I saw James, but you weren't in the cell with him. Or I went to go visit my aunt at the elderly home, and she was there, but you weren't there. Like, we did these things, but you weren't there, Jesus. And he says in response to them, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. You can go to the next slide. I want to zero in on this tonight. This question of when did we see you? This isn't an issue. Loving our city is not an issue of desire. I think you guys are good people. I think you're decent human beings who mess up sometimes. I'm a decent human being. I mess up sometimes. It's not that we don't care about our city, but I think one of the problems, if we're actually going to step into responding to the needs that are in our community, we have to see them first. And even the people who got it right, y'all, you can keep reading if you want to see what happens to the other group. Uh, But the people who got it right... We're shocked. 
They were surprised. They were like, we did, when did we see you? And they were doing the thing. They were loving their city. They were showing up for Hope Rising and going to Hernando Correctional Center. They were doing the serve initiatives. They were sorting donations so kids would have clean clothing to wear when school starts again. They were doing what you're doing. And they were still surprised. They were still like, hmm, when do we see you? We're going to sit on that for a couple more minutes. Jesus identifies himself with the unseen, with the ones who are overlooked or ignored. That's where he camps out. That's where we find him. And it's beautiful and powerful. And that's where the miracles are when we show up in that spot. So the question is, if we can see in Scripture, and maybe you've been reading the Bible for a while, maybe you're brand new to the faith, wherever you are in your faith journey, so glad you're here. You are in the right place. This is a good place for you to keep exploring what it means to be a Christian or what it means to step into faith. Wherever you are in your journey, we can kind of see like Jesus is about this identifying with the unseen. So if we know that, then why don't we see the reality of our community. So I'm going to kind of bum you out for a minute. It's not just that we're distracted. It's not just that it doesn't come natural to us. Actually, really and truly, our world, this is our next slide, the world is built so we don't see the needs. It's literally built so we don't see the needs. I'm going to show you the most literal example I could think of right here in this video, and then we're going to get a little more metaphorical and applicable and all that stuff. Watch this. When you leave the international airport of Rio de Janeiro and head towards the south of the city, which is where all the beaches are, you pass a sprawling informal settlement called Mare. It's one of hundreds of neglected shanty towns like this in Rio. It goes on for miles. But when you pass by there today, all you see is this wall. map of Rio. Here's the part that you probably know. It's the south zone. It's where all the iconic beaches are. Mare is in Rio's north zone, which is where most of the city's poor live. A barreira acústica, a ideia, segundo eles, era para poder barrar o som. Porém, é nítido que essa barreira, o único intuito dela é para quê? Para que as pessoas que saem do aeroporto do Galeão e vão sentido a zona sul não consigam ver a realidade da cidade. They don't have sewage systems, they don't have uh, housing rights, they don't have anything. But, you know, the city is really concerned about how loud the cars are. So because they're worried about, you know, the, the ears of the poor people that don't have food in their stomach. The city just installed a big new school in this community a few months ago. You'll note that when we get to this part of the highway, the wall becomes totally transparent, giving us a perfect view of the shiny school. Every time international attention comes to Rio, the city scrambles to build up infrastructure around tourism for visitors to see that it's this amazing city. The problem is the visitors will come and they go, but the people of Rio are here to stay. And they're frustrated. They're frustrated that their government will spend so much money to build up certain parts of the city and completely neglect others. When you leave the international... 
So that's like a very literal example, right, you guys? The reason, if you fly into Rio de Janeiro, you're going to fly into the northern side of the city, and then you're going to get on a little highway, and you're going to head down to where Copacabana and the Statue of Jesus are, and you're going to go to your nice hotel. But that highway is literally has a wall obstructing the reality of where most of the residents live with no sewage, no clean water, not great schools, and they're literally hiding it. Most of our cities may not have extreme examples like that, right? Like we could drive down Nebraska Avenue right now and see some stuff that's going down and there isn't a huge partition wall, right? But the way our society is built and the way our human hearts are inclined is to kind of not see the reality of our city. It's uncomfortable. Think back to a time when you have, maybe you went, you were on a vacation or a mission trip or something. Or, no, 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 not a mission trip. Let's not do that. Think back to a time when you're on vacation and you're like in vacation mode or you took a day off of work and you went down to the city and then there's a guy like in the median asking for money or you see something really uncomfortable. We're like a little put off because it's our time to relax. It's our time to like... I don't know. It's our PTO. Like, don't mess with us. I don't want to be reminded of uncomfortable truths. That's just kind of the way the human heart is. But the invitation we have from God, if we're going to make a sustained impact, if we're going to make a difference, if we're going to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, if we are going to love the Lord our God with all our heart, strength, mind, and body, and love our city well— there's going to have to be a refocus. We're going to have to be willing to see the need. Here's another example. Um, so you guys are looking at me right now because of the spotlight, sort of, the lighting. This whole environment is curated, so your attention is up here, right? I'm so glad I can see you. I don't like speaking when it's super dark. But the attention's up here because that's how we created the room. That's how we're creating this experience right now. There's a mic. Right? Can you hear me as well? Would this be a great experience if I didn't have a mic? No, I don't have a loud voice. You can't hear me that well if I don't have a mic. Everything is training your attention to come right here. But did you know that this cute little envelope has been hanging out right here? It wasn't even like camouflage. Neil made fun of me for not wearing black <laughs> tonight because black is cool and I guess I'm getting older. Anyway, there was this envelope too. Did you guys see these? Raise your hands if you notice, like why is there a red thing or a green thing? One person, two per, okay, cool. So there are six more of these with little Chick-fil-A gift cards around your seats if you wanna grab them. One, two, three, four, five, six, who's got them? Raise your hand so I know when I can move on to my next point. One, two, three, I have three, Four, five, six, kind of, yeah? Did we get them? Okay, cool. So track with me here for a minute, you guys. Why didn't you see those cards in the, in the seats? Or maybe you saw them and you're a good person and you just thought it was somebody else's. But, like, let's pretend for the sake of my point you didn't notice them. Why did you not notice those? They were bright. They weren't even, like, white or black. Like, I chose really obnoxious colors. 
You didn't come here for an envelope, right? You you came here for a message and the Holy Spirit and friendship and all that kind of stuff. You didn't come, your focus was not on this, right? Your focus is not on this, but it was here and it wasn't even hidden. And that is the challenge that we have, is that the world has trained us to look at wealth, beauty, power, success, The world has trained our attention to gravitate towards things, even as people who love God. That's going to be something we have to contend with. But the Holy Spirit is saying, hey guys, guess what? I'm over here with the overlooked, with the ignored, with the forgotten. I'm over here, and I want to meet you here. And I have meaning and purpose and life and things that are far bigger than you could ever achieve on your own. But it's over here. That's counterintuitive. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And yet, Scripture says over and over again, this is God's economy. That's the way he works. So, to review, the world is built so we don't see the need, right? Just like that wall in Rio de Janeiro literally covering up the unpleasant side of their city. But the Spirit invites us to refocus our lens. You have an invitation tonight to accept this challenge, this invitation to refocus what you see. So when we get to that place where God's like, hey, you did this, you did this, you did this, you'd be like, yeah, I knew when I was doing that really hard, scary thing, you were with me, Jesus. I knew you were there. I knew you were there. I sensed you there. I want to look at another passage, Matthew 6, 22. Um, I don't think I have it on a slide, so don't worry about it, but thank you guys. Uh, Matthew 6.22 says, Your eye is a lamp. This is Jesus talking again. That provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. If the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Jesus again is talking about where are we looking? Where is our attention? If the world is going to hide the need in our city, if the spotlight of the world is going to be on wealth, beauty, power, success, all of those things, then we need to pay attention to what we're focusing on. We had an all-staff training thing a week ago, and I attended the social media workshop, and it was good. And a friend of mine uh, raised her hand after the workshop, and she was like, I have a question. Um, I keep posting stuff about, it's a GFC thing, about a GFC thing, and none of my table group ever sees it. Like, I asked them, did you see that event? I posted it on my wall. And they're like, no, we never saw it. She's like, why are my posts getting buried? Why can they not see my stuff? You guys know why, right? Tell me why. I would not have had to go to the workshop if I had been hanging out with you. Why did people not see her post? Just yell. You, we can be interactive here. No engagement. Thank you so much. And you have a cool sweatshirt. Okay. So, um, no engagement. And they were like, well, she's like, I'm getting a few likes. And we're like, that's not enough, my friend. No engagement. Because even the algorithm on your phone, whatever platform you're using these days, even that is trained to bring all of your attention to what is getting the most likes or retweets. I guess we don't do Twitter. I don't know, the most TikTok thingies. Um, You guys can help. We could do another workshop for me after this, please. Um, That's 
how our world is structured, and we have to be intentional. We will not see Jesus over here with the hungry, the poor, the homeless, the overlooked, the incarcerated. We're not going to see him over here. We're not going to experience him over here on accident. We won't stumble into it. It has to be a choice. It has to be a choice to see the need. Um, all right. How much time do I have? I told you I would check with my stopwatch, but I'm not supposed to say that. I, like, I actually don't know how much time I have left, my friend. I'm looking at Mark. Six minutes? Five minutes? Okay, cool. Uh, okay, I have a story and then another story, and, and then we can wrap it up. Um, so here's my story. You can put the little picture up. Um, Mark and Brent. Brent is a guy in the mustardy sweatshirt. He's our global missions director. I get to work with him, and actually I think he's doing a following Jesus talk next week, which will be great. Um, yeah, so Brent and Mark and I got to go to Texas a couple months ago to the border, if it wasn't already apparent that is the border. Um, we got to go there, and the reason is not that we like to stir up political drama, but there's a church there that is doing really, really good work. The Moya family, Eunice and Hugo, have been pastoring for 30 years in a very difficult space. Um, in fact, one of the cities they're in, Hidalgo, was like, used to be Mexico, and then the United States took it. And there has been all of this shifting political drama, shifting borderlands. Even that place we saw, like at one point, there was no wall. There's a lot of change in that area and a lot of need and the Moya family has been tucking their heads down pastoring meeting the spiritual and physical needs of anyone who comes to their church doing outreaches doing food distributions praying with the sick praying with the elderly in fact it was really really tragic because we were scheduled to go I forget when sometime in April and Brent texted me a few days before our flight and he said Jonathan's dad just died Jonathan's dad was only 50 something and he was working on the roof he shouldn't have been on the roof but he was so passionate about his church. They had just acquired this new property. They were going to expand their ministry. They were going to be able to invite more teams in to see what God is doing in this challenging space to be part of their ministry. And he had an accident working on the roof and he passed. And so Brent and Mark and I didn't even know if the trip would happen because it, the grief and the shock of it was so real. Jonathan, the son, who's about 35, insisted that we come anyway, and we got to spend three days with them, and it was really amazing. It was really amazing seeing the resilience of this family and then seeing the really cool work that they're able to do in a very difficult space. It was powerful, you guys. One of the places that we visited was a migrant shelter. So these, the, the, by the time we got to this place, it was in the United States side. Oh, we're not close to music yet, y'all. I got some more to go. Um, <laughs> like, please stay with me. And then I promise I'll let you go. 
We visited a migrant shelter, and these are families, adults, lots of children who came to the border, and they turned themselves in, which is a legal right, by the way. So they said, hi, we're here, turned themselves into officers. We want to plead our case for asylum. We want to be able to demonstrate to the United States that we're leaving a credible fear for our lives. Will you give us a chance to prove that? So when we have got to this shelter, these are all families that had been vetted. They did whatever security check they needed to do, whatever processing. They were granted permission, legal permission, to stay in the States for a certain time being. Please don't come up to me after this and ask me about immigration policy because I'm not an expert. I don't know anything. I just went on a trip. Okay, so we'll just settle that right there. The people we saw in the shelter were just trying to figure their lives out. And Jonathan told us, very passing, this was like a tiny little detail. He said, yeah, as part of a security measure, they take your shoelaces, and uh, so no one has shoelaces. And then later in the visit, he said, when they're getting ready to travel to their next destination, to Houston or Miami or Indianapolis, whatever receiving city they'll go to while they're where they will wait and wait, while they're going there, they get a, a manila envelope, something that looked like this. And it has all their travel documents in it. Smaller than this, but you guys get it, right? It's all I had at my house. Um, <laughs> had their travel documents, and that's, that's like all of their identification. So Jonathan said those two things, those two little details in passing, real quick. We kept going. We saw like a bunch of stuff. Well, as we wrapped up our trip, we were getting ready the next day to get on our plane and we're doing like the airplane shuffle you guys know what that is right like where you you want everyone to go faster but you don't want to bump into the person in front of you so you're like trying to get on the plane like this because it's crowded we're doing a little airplane shuffle and I'm going like this and two people ahead of me I see a young mom in sneakers with no laces right and then I noticed she had, a, like, a cute little kid on her hip, and then she also had this, and it's, like, tucked under her shoulder. And she's, like, carrying her baby and kind of shuffling. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I think I know what that means. I, I think I, yeah, that's what Jonathan, yeah, I think maybe she was there when we were, okay, all right. So I texted Jonathan, and I was like, Jonathan, I definitely think there's, like, a mom and her kid who were processed, like, she's on her plane, Jonathan. I whispered through text, and he heard my whispers. And, and Jonathan whispered back on my phone, and he was like, yes, April, you're right. You figured it out. You're so smart. And he's like, listen, here's what you do. When you guys land, walk up to her and ask her if you can walk her to her next gate. I was like, that's it? He's like, yes, that is all you can do. And that will be a tremendous help. She's in a terrifying situation right now. Doesn't speak the language, most likely. Doesn't know where she's going. Airports are scary, as it is. Just ask her if you can walk her to her connecting flight. So we sat down, and um, sure enough, little five-year-old girl, different girl, sat next to me. And I had my little, like, work journal. She sits next to me, and she goes, Esa es mi primera abuela. How many of you speak, like, three words of another language? Okay, but you know when you sit next to a kid and you say those three words, they think you're fluent, and then they keep going and going and going? That's what this little girl did. So she just kept going and going, and we played tic-tac-toe. I even can show you guys. I'm never going to be invited to speak again. I'm going way over. So this is a tic-tac-toe, 
And her version of tic-tac-toe was like, doot, 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 doot. I was like, that is not how they play in the States, but okay, I'll let you get away with that. That was not tic-tac-toe. So we play tic-tac-toe for 40 minutes. We land. I tell the guys, hey, let's wait. We've got a long layover anyway. Let's stay with this family, help her get to her connecting flight. So I'm waiting with the one family, and then Brent comes off with two more families and uh, who were going to different cities who needed that help. And so we were like the little motley crew in the airport, like me and Mark and Brent and these little women with their kids on their hips who are terrified with their little envelopes tucked under their shoulders. Not shoulders, that's an armpit. Under their armpits. And we just walked with them. We dropped off the first family at her gate, second family at her gate, and then the third one had a longer layover. So I got to talk with her some more. I did not ask her her story. I did not say, what trauma have you gone through that enabled you to stay in the United States of America? I didn't say that, because I'm not dumb. But I did just listen, and I did talk to her about kid stuff. Brent bought her daughter a huge Frosty, which is only the move of someone who doesn't have kids, before she got on a flight. He doesn't know any better. You guys can tell him next week, and he does following Jesus, teaches that class. And when we walked the third family to the gate, she had been very stoic and, like, not cracking a smile the whole time. And we walked her to the gate, and she was getting ready to board. She grabbed my neck, and she, like, held on to me like death grip for just a minute. And she was like, in Spanish, so I understand a little bit more than three words. She said, um, you didn't have to do that, and I don't know what I would have done if you had it. I was like, okay. Well, God loves you. God bless you. I tried to say something Christian-y. I meant it from my heart, but I don't remember exactly what I said. I was like, God loves you. He's with you. She was like, thank you. And that's it. I'll never see her again. I don't know how her daughter's doing. That was it. But for that one moment, here's where we're wrapping it all up with a big bow. For that moment, because I had been with Jonathan and the Moya family, because I had seen them loving their city, because I had witnessed them Remembering the forgotten, feeding the hungry, clothing those without clothes, giving shelter to those who don't have shelter. Because I saw the church in action, doing what the church does best, I was able to notice the details. The Holy Spirit refocused my lens. I noticed this. I noticed this because the Holy Spirit had refocused my lens. The world is built so we don't see the need, but the Spirit refocuses our lens on what matters most to Him, and it's people. It's people, y'all. So last up, so I am never disinvited from this place again because I like you guys a lot. Last up is I want to show this video. These are some of my friends. This is one of the ministry that your church supports financially, staffs, provides for. This is our soup kitchen. We meet at Fletcher and 15th in the Santa Maria Mission place. It's been going for 10 years strong before I even got here. And some of these volunteers you're going to see in this video have been serving this community for six 
10 years faithfully, 50 out of 52 Wednesdays a year. We only take off between Christmas and New Year's. They know the names of the regulars. They know which of the people who come up for their meal are homeless veterans who are, vet, who are homeless because they have PTSD that's untreated. They know which of the family members are undocumented. They know which of the people coming are like still on crack because we have substance abuse issues and we've had very candid conversations with some of them. They're not ready to get clean. We keep serving them. We keep showing up because one day they may be ready to make a change. But until then, we're going to keep doing what we do. I want you to hear from their hearts because I love what they're doing and I love the invitation that is out there for you as well. So take a look at this video. I tell you, I can have the longest day at work and show up at Soup Kitchen in the evening as, as exhausted as I could be. The minute I get out of that car and start walking up to the Soup Kitchen and, and see the guests and see the volunteers, it, all of that tiredness goes away. I get a new strength and the Lord just, just works in me. I always say I want to be Jesus' hands and feet. I really do. I like to put a smile on their face or ask them how they're feeling and and just, you know, they're like, oh, I'm doing okay. I'm like, no, you're doing good. You know, just hang on to him. Hang on to Jesus. Never give up. I think we all have something in common. All of our hearts are to serve God's people and to let them know that he has not forgotten them because the one conversation that we give them on Wednesday evening, a lot of times that's the only conversation that they get. That conversation could possibly save their lives. Just to say hi, each one of us, we go out there and we pour our hearts out to them. That's what God loves. I love that he instilled that in us so that we can go and be about his business and tell his children that he still loves them, despite whatever their challenges are. What Jesus was talking about, when did you serve others? When did you close somebody? When did you feed somebody? And when did you visit them in jail? then you're visiting me. And it, it made me think about that, that. We're out there witnessing and we're out there, but we're doing this all for Christ. I will never forget the time that there was this man and um, he was walking kind of like slow, but he really couldn't walk. And it was because his shoes were too tight. I mean, they were so tight. And Tara says, don't you have a pair of shoes in your car? He goes, yeah, I do. Came out with it and it was perfect size. And they washed, and they washed his feet, and they put a new pair of socks on him. I was just, I was just gushing, crying, because it was just so touching. It was just amazing how God, at the right time, there was a pair of sneakers in the car for this man. And he went home, and he started crying there when they did that, when they put the shoes on him. And it was just like the perfect fit. Of course, we had a moment this year where a young lady, I could just tell, I was like, this is your first time ever doing something like this in your life, right? She was like, I slept in my car for the first time last night. And she just lost it, like right there in front of me. I'm like, okay, come on, like, we, we got you. Um, and just walking her through that process and how we all just jumped in and just loved on her, that's what it's about. Like, that's what this Christian walk is about. It's like, we're not here for us. We're not here, you know, just to serve our own selfish needs, but we're here to serve others um, and just be that light and salt that we're called to be. Amen. Would you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, um, I thank you. We thank you that even with the the way the world is built, the way honestly, like our hearts are built, to uh, not want to step into the discomfort of other people's suffering. To not want to be in difficult places where, um, I don't know, it's dirty or, or where we may not have the answers to be inconvenienced, to have our hearts be broken. That's not natural. But you don't call us to a natural life. You have given us your spirit. And you've invited us into a supernatural way of being in this world, of doing life with each other. And God, we receive your invitation tonight to refocus our lens, to take a look at what we're looking at, what we care about, our priorities. Help us do an inventory. Holy Spirit, you're very good at that. Help us do an inventory, but not one that's born out of guilt or shame, one out of an invitation to more purpose, more life, more God moments where you show up as we go out of our comfort zones and you make a way and you do something that's so much bigger than what we could have planned for ourselves. God made this community right here be about that business. Lord, may we be about that business. Let us see our city the way you do. Let us see the needs and let us see you, Jesus, and be transformed in the process. We love you, Lord, and it's your name we pray. Amen.